What is up, doe? Welcome to another edition of the Pixel and Roll Show, where we discuss a faltering basketball team, your Washington Wizards. Hello, everyone. This is Adam McGinnis. It is March 9th, 2016. A beautiful, gorgeous day today in the nation's capital. Temperatures hit about 80 going to be 80 the rest of the week as well so there is your weather update as for the sixth grade boys basketball team the cougars the little cougs that i coach a thrilling come come from behind victory last weekend we advanced in the playoffs and now playing the championship game on sunday it was almost like they actually listened to things that i've taught them uh, just to dispel some of the rumors out there my representatives are in contact with some potential NBA openings, perhaps the Wizards. <sighs> Can't really say much more than that uh, currently. <laughs> As for those Washington Wizards, they suffered another close defeat in Portland on Tuesday night, 116-109. to They had multiple opportunities to take out the Blazers at the end. John Wall had a clutch three-pointer to go up two. Portland came down, and C.J. McCollum hit a shot to tie the game with about five seconds. Washington had two chances to win the game. Gortat was blocked at the rim, and John Wall's shot was missed. They went into overtime. Damian Lillard was just incredible. Out, ended up with 41 points. Washington ran out of gas. Lillard hit a bunch of bunch of huge buckets, some just um, amazing three-point shots and a, and a finish into rim, and the Wizards fell again. So I often bemoan a lot about being a fan, following this team, writing about this team, podcasting about this team, about the frustration, what a, what a long slog following this basketball team, the Washington Wizards, has been over the years, especially this season. Someone that I know that can relate to me with my angst from a blogger standpoint and a fan standpoint is with me today, writes a really good uh, blog on the team, breaks down a lot of good numbers, which I really respect his his points of view. I don't know if I always agree with it, but I always respect them, but he's always coming from a good place. Mr. Kevin Broom. Kevin, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing fine, although I'm heartbroken that you don't always agree with me. <laughs> it's the internet. You you have to agree all the time, right? Is that, if you don't agree with yeah. me, you're wrong and bad and evil. It's black and white out there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think it's by law we're required to disagree on everything. <laughs> no, no, sometimes I'll be like, oh, especially, not to get politics, but I'm like, hey, you know, I'm a Democrat, I'm a liberal. I'm like, you know, kind of like Hillary and Bernie. Is that okay? And then both people will be like, no. <laughs> You have to pick one. And I'm like, nah, I kind of see point, both points of view. Like, I disagree sometimes. Yeah. It's, that's allowed. That's okay. In, yeah. in, the, in, the hot yeah. take, in the hot take world of, of sports hot takes or political hot takes, especially in the Twitterverse, people don't really like the measured kind of bo- see both sides of everything takes. They want the hot, hot takes, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well thank, thank, you, thank you for joining me. I it's your first time here on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. So the first question I always ask. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, the first question I always ask us, a new person that joins, is, hey, what's your thoughts on this Washington Wizards season so far? Well, unfortunately, it's pretty much about what I expected. Um, you know, before the season started, I ran my numbers, 
and projected, you know, what their wins total was going to be. And I actually came up with 41.4. And the number was so low that I, I went and rechecked everything to make sure that, you know, this, all the right cells were, you know, the cells were all adding up and, you know, everything in the projected win column was coming up and they all were. And so when I published uh, my projection for the season, I actually rounded up to 42, and that's even looking over-optimistic. Yeah, I think I predicted 52 wins. Uh, so my hot take is I'm an idiot. What, you should probably stop listening to this podcast right now. What, what do I know? <laughs> but, the, but then again, well, in, the, in, in, in the pundits world, nobody ever goes back and says, hey, you, we can't listen to your opinion because you were wrong. Uh, but I think I think admitting well, you're, no. I think admitting you're wrong is actually better than never never admitting you're wrong. <laughs> well, I agree. I mean, it, you know, in, in my projections, like you know, when I went went through, you know, some of them are pretty close to what I what I thought was going to be, and some of them are not. You know, like Chris Humphreys, I predicted he was going to actually have a pretty good year. He obviously did not. So, <laughs> you know, that happens. So. Well, you also you know, we miss some things. Well, you also you also predict good health, right? As much as I want to, I don't want to buy too much into the injury excuse, but not having Bradley Beal for a long period of time, not having you know Alan Anderson or Nene or some of the core members does does affect the numbers here and there, but also speaks to maybe a lack of depth or a talent uh, deficiency. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, right around. Just a few few days before the All Star game, I actually um, ran some numbers just out of curiosity to see how much the the injuries cost them. And the answer was through about through the All Star break was about two games, so two additional wins um, based on the guys that were out. And it's kind of interesting that Ted Leonsis tweeted out some stuff about how the Wizards are like the league leaders in in games lost to injury. And that's true, but even when you look at the the analytic side of, you know what what those injuries cost them, they they don't rank super high in the number of in the in the value lost to those injuries, just because of, you know the guys who got hurt, really for the most part, aren't as good as people think they are, and while they were out, you had some odd performances. You know you had uh, Garrett Temple and Gary Neal in particular who were kind of playing above their heads overall, but they would each have these really weird games where they, you know, scored a bunch or did different things that or had really hot shooting stretches for three or four or five games. And the Wizards pulled out a few games that they, you know, that they, you know, pulled one, a few games that they probably quote unquote shouldn't have with say Beal out. And then, you know, as the season has worn on, what happens, you know, Neil gets hurt and his production goes, is, you know, declines and then goes away completely when he's hurt. And Temple sort of reverts back to, you know, fifth guard level, which is about what he is. Yeah, it's funny because there was a time, maybe it was like mid-December, mid-January, I think I've been standing on, and we kind of said that, you know, aside from John Wall, that Garrett Temple probably was the most valuable player on this team. And it wasn't even a, a biased opinion. I mean, he had played multiple multiple guard positions, filled in with injuries, had been playing 35 minutes a game, had shot you know above at what he had shot in his career, and it and had been yeah. it, it had been a very decent, good utility player. The problem is that one, I think what you're speaking of, he regressed back to the mean or regressed back to his own mean, 
and then his shot yeah. by his shot not falling. And I've seen a lot of his defenses. His defenses slip it has slipped a lot. Even though Randy Whitman does not believe that, unfortunately, and, and thinks that he's still a top notch defender. Where I think he can defend well. I just continually see him getting beat, getting called for a lot of fouls. Last night against Portland, we're recording this on a Wednesday. Last night against Portland, the the play where CJ McCollum he falls down again in some key yeah. spots where I'm like, why isn't Otto on that uh, player? Why isn't John Wall yeah. on that player? And so it's one of these things where and I don't want to pick on Garrett Temple because I feel like over the years I picked on him too much. And my point, I guess, is is that why? And I get the injury standpoint. It is why is this team forced to play at Garrett Temple for 35 minutes? That's that speaks yeah. to me more of a yeah. roster construction kind of deal than any deficiencies about Garrett Tenth Temple individually. Right, and, and that's the thing is that, you know Temple is he's a, he's a good guy you know he's a really good guy and locker room presence have on yes. your roster. yeah locker room presence good you know, teammate fifth, fifth guard you know guys get hurt you know he steps in and you know plays here and there but you, you, you need a little more depth than what they've had especially considering you know Beal's injury history coming in and you know it's kind of sad too when you know they just signed uh, Marcus Thornton. This is a street free agent who's probably going to be the best guard, best off guard on the team. Um, certainly until Beal gets back. Well, it's funny because the game against uh, what game was it? It was the uh, oh the Cavs on Friday night. Wall gets a couple. Wall gets a couple uh, fouls early. They had they had to go to some weird lineups, and it got to the point in the first half. And I think someone even tweeted it. And I responded like they miss Alan Anderson, who had played really well against. Who had shot well and played played well against uh, Minnesota, which ended up you know a good victory. I shouldn't say good victory, but a road victory that they made him mm-hmm. five hundred for the first time. But then I'm also the other sense be like, okay, the dude who has not played all season <laughs> for sixty Damn. games, I'm now saying in the sixty first game, I'm I'm concerned that he's not playing, even though he's on a minute restriction where he's only playing twenty five minutes to begin with. And I'm like, but I'm like honestly saying the team really didn't miss him. <laughs> yeah, well, part of it is, I mean, you're going to miss anybody who comes in and, you know, puts up like an offensive rating of, of 150, which is what he's done so far. Or, or play you defense know. as well, too, right? I, I thought he plays good defense. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he's he so far, his career with the Wizards, he's played way over his career norms, so... Yeah, hope he keeps it up. But yeah, small sample, are, small, you know. yeah, small sample size, though, right? Like, he's only came back a couple yeah. weeks ago. But, but Kevin, going back yeah. to, to you mentioned to tell the people, just before we get into some more stuff about the the, the team and some particulars about uh, different different things going on, just talk about your system. You said you said running numbers and in these these things you just kind of explain, give an overview of what you're kind of talking about to the to the average fan out there listening? Well, um, what I did is I put together a stat. I call it the player production average, uh, PPA for short. And it's sort of an all-in-one ratings metric. And what it does is is it's based on regressions and, and basically an analysis of how each statistical category relates to who wins games, to scoring differential. And in PPA, averages 100, higher is better. Um, replacement level, basically the average or the score at which you would uh, 
be able to sign somebody out of the D League and get about that level of production is 45. And it includes some adjustments. So, well, I call them adjustments, but they're really just part of the metric. Um, for defense, it includes an accounting for defense, and it includes its pace adjusted, and it also includes um, a factor based on the level of difficulty, call it degree of difficulty. It's based on, you know, do you play against starters, do you play against bench, that sort of thing. And so all of that sort of rolls into one, and it gives you some an opportunity to rate players, compare them to, to average, um, you know, every year. And so it's, you know, in each season, it's uh, set at 100, the averages. So how, how does that compare to, how does that compare to John Hollinger's PER rating? Is it somewhat similar? Well, it's similar. Um, it's, it's somewhat similar. Um, and even I think some of the, there's a couple of categories that the scores are very, very close because um, John did pretty good work on, on his, but there's a few differences. One, PER doesn't account for defense at all. Um, except for like defensive rebounding and like blocks and steals, fouls, I guess. Um, and so PPA accounts for defense in a way that actually makes sense. <laughs> and then the other thing is that John's PER rewards players for taking more shots as long as they make something like 28% of the, of the shots. Um, in PPA, that, that doesn't happen. It's, uh, the cutoff point on, you know, you're helping your team some if you shoot the ball and it's around 42% um, from the floor. So it's a much more real-world um, kind of <laughs> kind yeah. of uh, metric, you know, because, you know, you, in PER you, you can get some guys who will score very well basically because they shoot a lot, and that doesn't happen in PPA. You, you have to make shots to get a high rating. <laughs> So, so it's more more values efficiency. Well, it, efficiency it, it values efficiency in the way that is more it overall, helps the over, over, yeah, overall, like an overall contribution instead of just yeah, individually. And, so, and now, I I do use lots and lots of um, you know other stats to get at you know how good a shooter is he, how good a ball handler, how good a passer, you know, all the various components of the game. But I come back to the sort of all-in-one rating because in basketball, because it's a flowing game, you have to take the whole player. You know, it's not like football where you can put in a guy who is, you know, like a defensive end who's light and can't really play against the run, but he's a really pass rusher. On mm -hmm. basketball, you get only a few opportunities where you can really do offense-defense substitutions. And if you don't get it quite right, you end up, you know, with like, you're stuck with somebody on the floor that you don't want out there. And so you really kind of are stuck with the whole player. And so, you know, you want guys who are good shooters, for example, but you can't really add good shooting because if you put a guy in who's all he is is a shooter and he can't handle the ball and he can't play defense and he can't rebound, then, you know, you're, you're losing ground in all those other areas and his overall impact probably isn't very good. So when, when, you've, when you've looked at the numbers uh, recently or just overall throughout the season about this team, what has really stood out to you about the 2015-2016 Wizards? Aside from me just bitching about how they've underachieved from their mediocre and la la la, like what, kind, what, what have you found in the data when you, when you analyze or run the, your, your, your reports or your numbers? 
Well, let's see. One, one of the things that I found amusing, this is something I actually wrote about before the season, too, which was, you know, the pace and space offense. And the space part, I was all in favor of. The pace part concerned me because pace has no relationship with efficiency, and efficiency is what wins the game. And so, plus, I, you know, I, I do pay attention to pace, and I've been, you know, watching it through the years. And over the last few years, the Wizards, last season and this season as well, they've actually been slightly better in slower-paced games. Now, I don't think it's because they're playing slower. I think it's probably just coincidence because I don't think pace matters, you know. But that's one of the things that's, that's stood out. The other thing is that I've, I've been working on various ways of quantifying this, and I'm going to write about this coming up, but just on the preliminary cuts of the data, you know, the sort of narrative is that John Wall is really good and the rest of the team is awful. And, you know, where you had, like, Dan Steinberg writing the piece that the Wizards were wasting, uh, you know, season of John Wall's prime, and you had John Wall even telling Michael Lee, um, you know, I don't want to waste a season. You know, that's, that kind of thing. And what my numbers actually show is that while Wall is very good, he's not in the elite, and his supporting, quote-unquote, supporting cast is not unusually bad. The Wizards are pretty much just really mediocre all the way around. You know, Wall, as a you know, top producer on a team, is, you know, a little below average for a top producer, you know. And then as you go through the rest of the roster, it's just kind of average, as you know, compared to what the rest of the league is like. So, 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 so the number saying Wall has not had as good a season as last year, or he's not as good. But even last year, he was not in in an elite category. You know, he's he's in the the, the very good. You know, but there are still and what, too many turnovers, and is too that, many missed shots. I was going to say, what are the deficiencies? Like, what what leads the numbers to give his rank to be very good and not elite, like we assume? You look, you look at you look at the numbers um, and the couple sort of the big numbers that jump out of the, the turnovers and the missed shots. I sort of roll all those up into what I, I call zero point possessions. And he's one of the he's the, the Wizards leader by far, and he's one of the league leaders in zero point possessions. So those are you know, point uh, possessions where they just they don't score, and uh, so those are pretty those aren't good. <laughs> And, but the other thing is, if you compare him to, say, you know, elite point guards, like, say, Russell Westbrook, who I know some folks would love for Wall to be as good as, you know, per 100 team possessions, Westbrook is averaging a triple-double. You know, Wall's not close to that. You know, so there's, there's a lot of different things that, that he could be doing, for example, to be in, in the elite. He's just, not, he's just not quite there. He's very good. And, you know, and but he's not there. I think he could get there, but he's not. Now, how about now? If you want to start getting into sort of the yeah, the X's and O's of it, I mean, go even deeper. I mean, if you look at like um, even by play type, he's below average scorer on most play types. You know, you look at screen roll. You'd think that that would be sort of an ideal um, play set for for Walter Ron, but he's a below average scorer in, in those situations. Yeah, I think Kyle's. I think Kyle's actually ran the numbers where 
Kyle Weida, the, the editor of Truth About It, uh, my friend who won't come on the podcast. I, I, every podcast I have to make sure to uh, <laughs> I have to make sure to get a jab to Kyle. I always say that he's not listening because he probably he probably isn't. But he had been in the numbers a couple of weeks ago, and he basically, even though John Wall is shooting really really well from three compared to his compared to his career compared to the last couple of years, you know, shooting a lot better from three pointer. But this mid range game is, is not as good, and he seems to be taking more of those shots now. It's improved from you yeah. know, obviously his rookie year or second year, and he's worked on his shot and it's gotten a lot better. But he's taking he's taking more volumes of of, of those mid range shots than he has in the past, and it's funny because we have. Harped on Bradley Beal taking so many so many long twos, right? And now all of a sudden, Bradley Beal has improved on that, I believe. And John Wall has kind of reverted, yeah. has kind of picked up Bradley Beal's slack in taking those those long twos. Is that what the number? <laughs> yeah. that, is, is that a weird? Is that what the numbers bear out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't looked at that specifically in, in a few weeks, but yeah, I, that that was a trend that, that I noticed. I, I felt like Wall had been earlier in the season been doing a little better. With that, but um, yeah, that's that. This is one of the issues with uh, with Whitman, you know, and, and the the coaching staff is they they talk about good shots and they, they don't mean good in the way that you know analytics type folks might think, which would be you know try to take three threes and you know layups and stuff. And you know, obviously, you can't take only those shots. You have to take some mid range. You have to sort of that you can't always get the exact shot that you want. That's, you know, the way the game goes. But, you know, well-run offenses <laughs> get more of the sort of high-value shots than, than, than the Wizards' offense does. It's, you know, that's the thing is the Wizards are actually a pretty good shooting team. They're above-average shooting team, but they're a below-average offense. It's, wh- wh- why do you think that is? I mean- well, again, if you go if you go and you look at the numbers, I mean, the biggest thing that jumps out is that they've decided to stop offensive rebound. And some of that could be the small ball lineup, but they, they don't get offensive rebounds. And they don't really get to the free throw line, or they don't make their free throws. <laughs> we saw that in Portland. Um, and and in, so in that, Indiana, Indiana as well, too. Like, yeah, they, they, yeah. Are, they are 26 of 47 in the last two games, and games that basically came down to the last possessions. And they missed twenty-one yeah. free throws in both games. And, yeah. and some some fan was, yeah. well, "What's the answer to that?" I'm like, "I don't know. Practice your free throws." I can't blame them all in the yeah. because it's Wall missing them. It is you know Bradley Beal missing them too a lot. He's been really he's he has been a, a not a good free throw shooter this year. Sessions missed a lot last night, even though he had a really phenomenal game. I thought that like Kevin Minna game. No, my question is like, before we move on. What is in two two questions? First one is like, what about Bradley Beal? Because I, I do feel about Bradley. You know, set aside the whole injuries, but when he has played, I thought that he has cut down the long twos, shot more threes, has got to the line a little bit better, been more aggressive, and that he kind of has changed the game that we've been bitching about, especially us us pesky bloggers types. Did the numbers bear that out as well? Mm, not really. Not really. Not <laughs> I mean, they, really, they not bear really. out. They bear out in the sense that he has cut down on the long twos, and he has been more aggressive. Unfortunately, it's come with more turnovers, and so instead of missing long twos, he's turning the ball over. And so, his, his overall efficiency, offensive efficiency, is about the same as it was when he was playing inefficient. You know, taking bad shots. So, wow. it's kind of like, yeah. It's 
you know, when I projected him at the beginning of the season, I thought that his leap would actually be next year, not this year. And um, this year he's actually, you know, when he's played, he's been a little bit worse than he was last year, which um, surprised me a little bit. Um, some of that is that he's coming off the bench now. And, um, you know, so he's not, the, the degree of difficulty on his minutes isn't quite as high. And then the other part is that, you know, he's been, he's been getting hurt. But he's, the other thing with, with Beal is that, you know, his primary value is as a scorer because he doesn't really rebound. He doesn't, you know, get a lot of assists. Um, he's, he's been a decent defender through his first few seasons. This year he's taken a step back defensively. Um, so, he, but he's not a very efficient scorer. And so what he's done this year is really he's shooting more um, and he's turning the ball over more. And so his his overall efficiency is about the same as, as it's been. Well, Kevin, I, I got to make sure if I have any more hard booze tonight because uh, you've now depressed me. By, 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 <laughs> I've probably depressed, probably depressed everyone listening to this. Be like, why am I listening to a podcast where they're just going to talk about the def- deficiencies of the two players that I like the most? Well, okay, 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 okay. okay. We want to talk about something good. How positive? About yes, the, yes. I would love. That's that's my that's my other question. That was my other question before we move on. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Good. No, March is is good. He's he's one of the, the you know ten best centers in the league. He's having a, a very nice season, and uh, his you know his his production has been for the most part ramping up as the season's been going on. And uh, he's still, you know, it's funny. I I've heard some criticisms of him as uh, you know he doesn't finish well. He doesn't finish well in traffic and all that kind of stuff. You know, he this year he is kind of having a down year for finishing at the rim. He's only shooting seventy percent. So yeah, Jesus. You know, last year it was I think seventy four percent. The year before it was like seventy five percent. For his career, he's like seventy two percent at the rim. He's one of the best finishers in the league. You know, the guys he's he's a solid player. What I'd like to do is I'd love to see the Wizards run more screen and roll with him and uh, try to feed him the ball a little more often as he goes to the basket. I think, you know, he, he finishes quite well in those situations. But, but that, that, is, that would actually include uh, Randy Whitman actually putting him in before the five-minute mark uh, of a close game against Portland. Uh, you know, <laughs> like, what are you doing, dude? We have, we have two days off, and you're, you're subbing John Wall in at the eight-minute mark when the team's floundering, and you don't put Gortat back in when Nene is completely gassed, and you're going to have two days off in Utah. Anyway, that, 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 I'll, say yeah. that, I'll say that rant. That, that, that one. But the thing is, Kyle actually ran the numbers about Gortat, and what he found when he saw the numbers is that Gortat isn't shooting as many t- 17-footers, 15-footers. Like He's still mm-hmm. shooting those 12-footers that sometimes he can make, you know, mm-hmm. those fadeaways that makes people mad. Maybe they see the finesse that he does because he likes to fade away, but he's cut down a lot on the 15 to 18 footers, which he has never shot that, yeah. that too much that well. And that probably is what, why you're seeing his numbers improve uh, on your stats, right? Yeah. I mean, that helps. And, you know, at the, early in the season, he was abnormally low, you know, shooting abnormally low percentage, especially around the rim. I mean, first like 15 games or so, he was down around like, I want to say probably around 62, 63% somewhere in there. And so he's, basically back to his norm at this point, you know, since then. You know, he's he's not great. He's certainly, he's not a great player or anything like that, but he is, uh, he's good. No, no, I agree. He's a guy that you can work with. No, I agree. It's kind of like when, when, 
when Sessions would miss all these bunnies, drives to the hoop, and then you'd also have Gortat, when, instead of just going up strong, and I'm like, can you do one power move, dude? Instead, he would do these fadeaways, but he makes them, though, too, right? So, so it's like, even though yeah. sometimes, and so you, so you get mad, and Sessions has been better at, 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 at finishing, but he also has been getting to the line at a great rate. So, so sometimes yeah. you got to take those misses with him drawing contact, and it's been one of the better, best options for the Wizards on their second unit is him getting to the line. Yeah, well, yeah, Sessions is a he's a solid, um, you know, backup point guard. You know, probably, you know, he's one of the better backup point guards around. That's, and I think that's pretty clear. So, so uh, no. one of the main reasons that I want to have you on, Kevin, aside from uh, being a fellow. Uh, blogger that spends way too much uh, personal time, free time on this on this mediocre to underachieving basketball team is the fact that you wrote a really yeah. good piece the other day breaking down the analytics from some quotes of Randy Whitman and some commentary that was on one of the sports talk radio shows. Before I get into the particulars of that, just what was your your premise of what you were trying to write and what sparked you to to write this and maybe just kind of summarize what what your piece was, I'm going to link in the show notes and I'm going to go through some of the particulars, but I just wanted your overall sense of when you created that and came up with, with this take, what was your genesis of, of all that? Well, I, I saw Dan Steinberg, DC sports blog over at the Washington Post, of course, um, did one of his fine public services, which is he transcribed <laughs> uh, from the radio. Hey, let me interrupt, let me interrupt real quick. I told him the other day, uh, it's like, I know when my podcast will make it when you transcribe something that I say on my podcast. That's what I told them. I didn't get a response. Dan's a friend of mine, but yes, he is not. I have not. I've not made the big time yet to where he's listened to one of these hour-long podcasts of mine. But yes, go on, go on. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I because I guess I'm you know most of the time I I, I work, uh, I, so you know I don't get to hear uh, Tennessee and Tom Libero very often. But uh, I, I typically enjoy it when I do. And so anyway, they, you know, Dan transcribed it. So I took Dan's article and I just, because I, I read through it and I saw some things that I thought were worth uh, responding to. And the, the biggest thing I think that I took away from it was just a sense that the Wizards may have an internal problem with how they use statistics. And the problem not being that Randy... Whitman is resistant to analytics, although I do think that he has some resistance. But I think, you know, the telling comment for me was Whitman's remark that he, something like you should see some of the number sheets that we have, they'll drive you crazy. And that really bugged me because, you know, he's, he's essentially, you know, an executive. And his job is, though, he's, he's a manager, and he's got lots of sort of different departments that he has to manage. He's got his assistant coaches, and he's got to manage that. He's got the players that he has to manage. He's got the strategy that he has to come up with and develop and implement. And he's got to have all the – and he's got to manage relationships with the media. He's got to manage relationships with the front office and with the fans. And there's just a lot of stuff that goes on for coaches that – he doesn't need to also be given stacks of paper or, you know, rooms of columns of, of numbers. And then he's got to try to figure out, learn this new language and figure out what all this means. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I say this as somebody, I mean, I, I work with data um, in some capacity for a living. I do public relations as a, you know, to make my money and to pay the bills and stuff. And, uh, 
So when I make recommendations to, you know, the people that I work for, I don't give them, you know, stacks of, of data. I give them, you know, a recommendation based on my analysis of the data, and then I can support it using the data. So that's the, that's the thing that, the biggest thing that I took away from is that I'm concerned that the wizards may not be using data in the best way possible. Yeah, so, so Kevin Sheehan started, uh, this is Dan Seiberg's transcribed, another shout out to Dan. So this is what started it. Uh, so Whitman came on to one of their shows and in interviewing Randy Whitman, what, what I was, first of all, when you try to interview him about anything, he'll never give you an answer. I mean, even to the point where like, is Alan Anderson going to play today? Is the going to play? I don't know. I don't know. Is Markeith going to start? I don't know. And then all of a sudden you get a sheet half hour later before the game and they're starting. And you're like, why don't you just tell us? <laughs> like, we don't really right. care. And so, so then sometimes you'll ask him a question about strategy or about why you're doing something. Most coaches, yeah, maybe they won't tell you exactly what they're doing, but they'll give you an honest answer. Women gives right. no shits and he'll just say, I'm not going to tell you. Why would I tell you this? So, so one right. point, I respect the point, why do you want to tell these pesky reporters what you're going to do? How are you going to guard someone? What's your game plan? I get that. But then also, where is your perspective or introspection of, of give a holistic argument, right? Like, you don't have to actually answer this specific thing. Like, we're going we're gonna to double team this player today, right? Like, I don't want right. that. But what is the strategy of like, hey, like, this is what we're fundamentally doing, like some type of big picture thing. And he just doesn't ever talk about that, which sometimes it's hard to parse his comments too much because some of his comments are just him not wanting to answer these questions. And as a coach, he's got he's to do media before the game, after the game, at practice. I get it. Like, it's almost too much. Stan Van Gundy has bitched about well, this in the past. So I get that. But, yeah, but, also, yeah. but also, Brad Stevens will tell me. Frank Vogel will tell me. Jeff Hornacek will tell me. You know what I mean? Like, coaches, coaches yeah. will say, give answers that are so much better than Randy Whitman that it gets to the point, dude, where I don't even ask any Whitman, Randy Whitman any questions anymore because I already know the answers, and it's stupid. Well, and, and the thing that's kind of interesting about that is that, that, I mean, it's not football where there are any surprises or anything. I mean, Certainly, by the time you get to this point in the season, everybody in the league knows what everybody else is doing. There are there are no surprises. I mean, Whitman could come out there and say he could give the play names that they're going to run. The other team already knows them. Oh <laughs> yeah, especially especially <laughs> late in the season, you already know what they're going to do. They're going to ice. They're going to double team. They're going to you know this pick and watch pick and roll. Watch John Wall in transition. Right. I mean, you know the scouting right. the scouting report. <laughs> Sure. I mean, sure. you you go, you you know, go so, you, you even can, even when you're in the locker room before the games, they'll have all the scouting reports up on the thing. Some some teams will will cover it up. Most teams don't even care, you know, because yeah, it's exactly. like it doesn't really matter. Like this guy, these are the guys shoot whatever from three pointer. Keep this guy off the lane. You know, it's not like. I mean, what, just to give you an idea, I mean, what, what back a few years ago, I I did a defensive tracking project where I was tracking the defense. This is before the sports view cameras and before synergy and all that kind of stuff. I, and I was tracking the Wizards defense, even down to the, like, the play type. Like, so the offensive play type. I could tell you back then what, you know, what the Wizards, how the Wizards did against screen roll. This was during Eddie Jordan's years. And so at one point I went over to the, uh, to the Verizon Center and I went in and I talked to the assistant coaches and they were kind of like, well, you know, this would be good if you knew our plays, you know, or if you knew our defense. 
And so I started naming them because I picked them up, you know, all the play calls from TV. You know, so I knew five was their man to man. I knew shark was their two, three. I knew minnow was, a, you know, another, another set, you know, another zone defense. And I was able to go through like the different coverages. You know, I knew that there were defenses that they switched, you know, switched out top. There were defenses where they switched down low. There were defenses where they switched everything. And um, some of the stuff confused me and put, you know, I, I was having trouble figuring out what their force rules were. And eventually I learned from talking to them, well, the reason I couldn't figure it out is because they changed depending on what the defensive call was, which was something that probably didn't make a ton of sense. But the, the point is, is that yes. sitting at home watching on TV and tracking, I was able to pick up, you know, exactly what the defensive calls were. So, so you're telling me another team. Scouts who scouts, are watching these teams all the time, they yes, know. They know. They get painted. This is their job, right? I mean... Yeah, so there's really, I mean, I can understand if you've got some really cool wrinkle that you're going to try that night to stop Steph Curry or whatever, you're not going to tell reporters what that's going to be. But, you know, what's the game plan for tonight? Like I said, we're going to run, we're going to shoot threes, we're going to swing roll. Okay, <laughs> you know, whatever. You yeah. know, you're not going to surprise anybody at that point. Well, well, one of my other favorite pastimes, especially on my podcast, is to uh, poke fun at like local sports radio. It's usually that they cover the Redskins in on uh, you know redundancy all all the time. Even though this year the Redskins made the playoffs, so I, and the Wizards were struggling, so it was really hard for me to make that point. But let's start right here. Let's let's, let's start right here. So Kevin Sheehan, he said from this piece, quote. I wouldn't be surprised if we found out down the road that this small lineup, pace and space style play was forced on Randy Whitman and his staff. Forced on them by some advanced analytics stats geek who convinced the technology visionary who owns the team, that'd be Ted Leonsens, that this team was stuck in yesteryear. That this team was stuck in old ways of playing basketball that weren't going to work anymore. Hey, Ted, Ted, I got this logarithm that I wrote. It's really cool stuff. I got the idea from an app created for sci-fi movies. It's really going to work in the NBA. Bad twos. You can you can't take those anymore. You got to take threes. You got you got to go space, space and pace. You got to go small. You got to play a stretch four. It's the way of the future, Ted. This is the way you got to do it. And Ted said to Randy, "Hey, Randy, what do you think about this pace and space and stretch fours and shoot more threes? It worked in the playoffs, and we almost made it to the Eastern Conference Finals." Jesus. Sheenan, Sheenan said, this whole thing all long season is just a blown opportunity, a major blown opportunity. I would love to know what, what a Ted is thinking right now. Now, you quoted this in your piece. I, I want you to respond mm-hmm. to that. That That is obviously uh, Kevin Sheehan being facetious, heavy on the snark, which which I actually do, do appreciate some snark. And yeah. there's just so much wrong in what he said, but I'll let you comment on it before I go off. <laughs> Well, it's, I want to say, I, one of the things I think is neat, I don't think I even really responded to that particular part of the passage in, in, my, in the piece that I wrote on my blog. But um, in general, I mean, what I would say is that Sheehan's comments there and some of the other ones that he made later on the radio, just I, I would suggest that he probably doesn't really know what is going on in terms of the analytics and what uh, analysts, analysts say and do. I mean, it's sort of what he's expressing there is kind of a, a stereotypical, very old view of what analysts are and what analysts are like. Um, you know, I, he, he made a comment at another point about, you know, that their stats are good, you know, t- a good tool for people with advanced basketball knowledge, which, you know, okay. 
I can understand that, um, and I even agree with that to a point. <coughs> you know, but maybe it would be best not to assume the level of knowledge that, say, the statistical analyst might have. This is what I would say about that. So, in general, though, I mean, the, the numbers were really clear that what the Wizards were doing, shooting a lot of long twos, and um, was not an optimal way of, of playing. Now, I will say that the numbers also indicated that changing the mix of shots wasn't going to transform the offense, but it would give them, you know, a little bit of an edge. You know, I did an estimate before the season of what it would have been if they just had league average, you know, shot selection. And I think it was something like an extra point per 100 possessions is what they might have scored which doesn't sound like a lot, except that it translates to about three wins over the course of the season. So they might have won an extra two or three games if they had, you know, a, a better shot mix. You know, so, so but also the, kind of the point of, of analytics really is it's research into the game. It's trying to get a better understanding of the game. And, you know, my approach is that, you, yeah, you use the numbers – but I also watch a lot of film. You know, I, I watch tons of games. I watch way too many games. I watch the Wizards. I watch lots of other teams. I don't watch college basketball anymore. I finally cut that out. Because um, I just didn't enjoy it very much. But um, the, you know, I watch, you know, all these games. And I, it's, but it's, I, do, I do a little bit more than watching. I, mean, I, I do a lot of tracking. I pay attention to different things. I watch different players. You know, there are a lot of different ways of approaching the game. And so, and, you know, just simply analyzing numbers, I would agree, doesn't give you the full picture. But that's why we also watch a lot of games, and that's why we also study, you know, coaching textbooks. I mean, not textbooks, but, you know, coaching publications, and that's why we talk to coaches and coach the game ourselves. So, you know, well, well the there, also, there, also, people... there also is a human element, too, which sometimes they think that just because you are emphasizing the stats means that you're discounting the human element altogether, which is not true. Like, I actually believe in both. <laughs> They're not mutually exclusive. Well, yeah, you know? and <laughs> but, yeah, they try to make it where, things... where I'm just a stat geek and I don't even really watch the games. I just crunch the numbers and I'm and I'm somehow not aware of you know, this guy's hot or the defense is playing this or you're taking, you know, there's an open 15 footer, take the open 15 footer better than a contested three. Right. Like I believe that, right. You know, but yet they somehow yeah. think that I am just, Nope. All long twos are bad and only threes, <laughs> which is not true. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. So I, I mean, obviously there's like the, there, there's the real world. There's the game that gets played. But the thing is with, like, you know, I, I do, obviously, I write about, you know, stats quite a bit. But the, the way I came to it was that I, I loved the game. I loved playing it. I loved coaching it. I loved being coached. I loved talking to coaches and fans and, uh, you know, players. I, I started covering the team way back in, like, 2001. You know, I was coming in, uh, you know, writing about the team, geez, that, that long ago. And I love talking to like the tenth and twelfth man. I love talking to the assistant coaches and stuff. I mean, one of my, some of my favorite memories are talking to the assistant coaches as I was doing my defensive tracking and that kind of stuff. I mean, one of my best nights was standing there in the Wizards' locker room drawing stuff up on the whiteboard with Mitchell Butler, 
Oh, you know, nice, going nice. through defenses, we're talking about why the Wizards were giving up, ironically, so many corner threes when they were in their 2-3 zone, and we were drawing things up. We talked so long, I ended up having to take a cab home because Metro <laughs> shut down. <laughs> the Michael Jordan, the Michael Jordan years, correct? Yeah, I was there during uh, during Jordan's years, yeah. Yeah. So, so before yeah, before before crazy. I get this one, this one, I think another another misnomer about when it ta- when it comes to comments like Kevin Sheehan or or some crusty ones, and obviously the metaphor of Moneyball is one I, I, I can make, but that's not the one. I think the one that stands out is what is the difference between advanced stats and analytics? Because sometimes I feel like people confuse the two in the sense that. Advanced stats and analytics. Yes, yes. I mean, because I feel because to me they're either they're kind of similar, they're kind of different. It's just using the same stats that we already had and just looking at it a different way. And so it's not like it's some huge different thing. It's kind of like saying, "Hey, long twos are bad. The corner three is a better shot. Uh, rebound percentage yeah. are more than. Hey, this guy averages twelve rebounds a game. Well, hey, but when he's on the court, they give up more rebounds as a team when he's not on the. You know what I mean?" And so it's more yeah, yeah. it's more like looking at that kind of stuff, like like what is his value as the team game than it is just somehow making up a complete stat that somebody doesn't really understand or we're trying to pick some stat that means more than than else. Like usage usage rate is another one. Sometimes I think that you can you can pick and pick and choose each way about a high usage player, which is sometimes confusing to people, but. I think there's ways that you can use those two things. So, so advanced stats, analytics to use that is it all the same? Are, are there well, are those just subscript, subjective terms about them? I mean, I think they they sort of encompass the same things. Uh, you know, it, the, the whole point is really to to try to you're trying to take an approach that you, to find out what is what's true, what's real, and Part of the reason to do that is that when you watch games, I mean, as human beings, just the human brain, we're horrible eyewitnesses. We see things that we want to see. We miss things that we don't want to see or that we we miss things. We're just horrible at, uh, and you know, just as an example, how many people thought like Brendan Haywood was, you know, was soft and was, a terrible player and was horrible on defense and all these kind of stuff. No, he's a great when rim exactly protector. The opposite yeah, he was a great rim protector, right? Yeah, he was. He was good. Remember that sexist term they used to call, he, they used to call him? Great. Remember they used to call him Brenda Haywood, which is very sexist now. Yeah. When I think about it, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, then you also get to some things like, and, and this is just like a really simple example. It's sort of like you know in Bull Durham. Where uh, Kevin Costner is asking, you know, do you know what the difference between a 250 and a 300 hitter is? You know, and the difference is 25 hits over the course of the season. It's an extra hit a week. So let's take it to the Wizards. I looked at this a few weeks ago, and Otto Porter was shooting, I think, like 31 percent, something like that, from three-point range. And the difference between Otto shooting what he was shooting at that point and shooting 35 percent. This is for his entire career with something like eight made threes over the course of his entire career. That's an additional made three every 20th game. Wow. You know? And so, and then even if you wanted to boost them all the way up to 40%, which you'd say, okay, that's a really good three-point shooter at 40%. That, that's the difference of an additional made three every seventh game. 
you know, these are differences we cannot see with our eyes. And so what you do is you get this perception. Porter's a crummy three-point shooter. He's not a good three-point shooter. Well, we don't actually know that. If he just made a couple more, he'd be okay, you know? Well, well, that's if, kind it, of the if, if the Wizards would make four more free throws each game, the last game, so instead of shooting 50%, they shot 65%, they would have maybe won those two games, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, think about it. They make one more, one more free throw in the fourth quarter last night. They went. Doesn't go to overtime. Yeah. You know? So... And I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not complaining about all sorts of playing calls. Well, but, but, but to me, it isn't just about Kevin Sheehan. So, so, so Kevin Sheehan goes off on this anti-stats rant, and then of course Randy Whitman's on his show. So this is what Randy yeah. Whitman, Randy Whitman says. He goes, "I've got to coach the team. Analytics haven't won a ball game. You've got to take what you have and put guys in position that they can best succeed at." And then there are some things with numbers mm-hmm. that help that. But if you see some number of sheets that we have, it would drive you crazy. But you know what? That's the world we live in. You can't fight that. But what what does you know but that does you no good. Listen, I've been in this business 32 years now, which is true. We have analytics back in the 80s, all right? We had numbers. <laughs> Plus minus guys playing with certain guys, that's never changed. And just for now, for whatever reason, hey, it's good for some people because guys have gotten a lot of jobs because of that word. Wow. Well, there's a lot going on there. I want you to respond to that. Besides laughing, besides laughing. Well, let, let me talk first. I, so, I love so, this. Yeah, okay, let me talk first. So, I, so last year, two things. Well, first of all, let's go back. About three years ago, Kyle asked him, I think it was before a Memphis game, he should have asked him about analytics, and he goes, analytics are shit. <laughs> and, of course, a bunch <laughs> of blogs picked it up, Yahoo, went all over, it yeah, was like yeah. before a game. And and then we we are bearing this numbers out. So this is even before last year, where the New York Times is writing articles, Ted the Onsens is blogging, basically saying that that we should go more, you know, blogger ball, shoot more, blogger ball is what I end up calling it, but shooting more three, yeah. playing small, right? So so Randy yeah. women, so so they change the system. They they win the series with Paul Pierce. There are a couple, you know, John Wall injury for making the Eastern Conference Finals, I believe. A missed rebound with Nene being up 3-2, maybe clinching it at home. You know, all these, these little factors. So then they, cha- they decide in, in the offseason to change the style. So before the season starts, I'm, I'm at the Verizon Center for like a fan event. And, and actually, you can get Randy Whitman a lot better on, bef- before a game and after a game. He's terrible. But out of practice or maybe some other media availability, he can get a lot more introspective. You can kind of ask him a lot more more informative questions where there's a bet. I shouldn't say you're always going to go to get answer a better chance of getting a real answer from him. And I just straight up asked mm-hmm. him and I go, Hey, so you trying to change the style. When did you decide this? Like, when did you decide in the summer? Did you get your staff involved? What happened? <laughs> if I was a better podcast, I would play that clip right now. And he was like, what do you mean? He, of course he goes into the mode that pissed me off. He goes, Hey, well, we've always played this way. We've always done this. We just didn't have the per- we didn't we, we've always done this. And it's, it's literally just me and Jorge Castillo of the Washington Post. It's like me and three people around him. It's not even that many people. And he goes, "We've always done that." I don't know what you're talking about. And then he like refutes my question, which is a very good Randy Whitmanism. And and then he basically says that they've always done this. Now they didn't really have the personnel, but now they're going to have more of the personnel. So. Okay, let's keep going. Let's finish the quote from Randy Whitman, and then I'll get your response because I know you responded to this. <laughs> so Whitman keeps going. Uh, Whitman says that, okay, this, this is a quote. Okay, Whitman says he's sympathetic with armchair coaches because that's what he does the same thing when watching baseball or football. He sure. noted with some amusement, this is a paraphrase, that last year's critics said his team was playing too big. 
And this year, other critics say his team is playing too small. He said that he would run out of minutes if he started a big lineup, but then he also used Nene as his second-string center, but then added that a bigger lineup can be used in shorter playoff series. And he said that this year's changes have both helped Washington's offense and hurt its defense. Quote, there's no question about it. It hurt our rebounding a little bit as well. And that's an important factor for us because we want to run. If you don't rebound the ball, you can't run. Now, you you took uh, offense to this because there's been a there's been a, hold on what you respond. There's been something yeah, took offense. I wouldn't use that word, but okay, yeah. Go okay. ahead. So so on there's been something lately where they crunched the numbers and I think I commented to you on Twitter where the, where buck ants or or I think even on the ESPN broadcast the other night, he's like, oh, the Wizards are just really poor def- rebounding, really poor rebounding. And then I looked, and their defensive rebound actually is is just as good as last year, if not a little bit better. Their offensive rebounding is not as well, which makes sense if they have Jared Dudley, who's not athletic, out on the out on the three point line, and then you also have Chris Humphreys in the season, so you don't have him. You have him at a at a position to crash the boards, and you don't have the name Gortat in the paint as much. So the rebounding mm-hmm. percentage sure. was pretty much they were not getting as many offensive rebounds. Not that the rebounding yeah. in whole had had. Had 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 gone down. Now, before we get into the rebounding part, just your just your thoughts of overall of Whitman's. So so that's the thing. Like, is it Whitman just being Whitman, or is it Whitman being resistant to change? And is it Whitman not even understanding what the problem is? Because I think that's what rises the the air of fans when they see quotes like this, especially when it's shared on 140 characters on Twitter. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. I, it's tough to know exactly what's going on and. In his head, you know, he's he's got his way of doing things, and this is one thing I don't I can't remember whether I put this in there or whether I wrote about it. But one of the like most challenging things that coaches have to deal with is there's no shortage of people who want to tell them how to do their job, right? Yes. So, yes. And this is something I actually learned from talking with Eddie Jordan a couple of coaches ago, and that is, you know, Eddie was. You know, he he was he had the same thing. People, everybody wants to tell him how to do things. You know, oh, you guys, and a lot of times it starts with, well, why don't you guys just, you know, do something, do whatever. And it's hardly ever as simple as, well, just run more screen roll or just shoot more threes because you still have to be able to get those. And so I, I understand that that side of it. So, and you know, and I also sympathize with what Whitman is saying in terms of he's got to coach the team. And, and I think we touched on that a little bit earlier, but that includes like, you know, managing all these guys, managing their egos, managing their agents, you know, managing their families, all, all of these things, their personal lives and their professional lives. And so all of that sort of goes into it as well. And then he's got to construct a system that uses all of the various talents that he's been given and try to get something cohesive out of it. And it's not an easy job. And, you know, my feeling on Whitman is that he's a competent professional coach, but he's not one of the best coaches. You know, there's, there's a big group of guys who are, they're fine, but they're fairly interchangeable. You know, you could replace Whitman with any number of guys and get the same kind of results. Um, there are only a few coaches out there who I think would do significantly better. <laughs> so, the, so all of that. Brad, um, St- Brad Stevens comes to mind. I feel like this team would have 10 more wins than Brad Stevens. Yeah, Brad Stevens is terrific. Popovich, obviously, you know, those, those kinds of guys. Phil Jackson, you know, Phil won pretty much everywhere he went. Stan um, Van Gundy. Saunders, actually, was one of those guys until he got to Washington. 
<laughs> so what's that mean? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so, so what about him being the comment that, 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 that really you stood out to you was about Randy basically being not being against like so many stats and so many reports. And I, and I can see that with players because I've asked individual players about analytics and advanced stats to be like, Hey, like you shoot better on this part of the court. You need to shoot there. Sometimes the game just doesn't play it out that way, right? So I get that. Yeah. You, don't want, you don't want to overload them mm-hmm. with too much information. But you also want them to know, like, hey, man, go to the corner. Shoot that corner three. Because yeah. you shoot the best at this corner three. I don't think that – and I know some of the analytical Wizards guys. They're smart. They know what they're doing. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think yeah. they're doing anything different than any other team is not doing as well, correct? And so this is an arms race when it comes to stats. And for some reason, I think Whitman gets – I think what you're talking about is that – the point that you're making with Eddie Jordan is that maybe Whitman, Whitman, especially being the crusty old guy that he is, he just told you he's been around this game for 32 years, is that he gets a little cranky when you're talking about this kind of stuff. And so now he just throws it all under, even though he knows that he sees the same reports. And sometimes it looks like two information where sometimes you've got to go play, which I get that. But when his comments like this make it seem that he's not on the same page that maybe the owner is or the game is or where everyone else is, Correct. Yeah, I would say that. Uh, you know, I think that's that's fair. Um, especially, you know, when you look at – they, they do have some shooters this year. You know, they've, they've got some guys who, who, can, who can shoot, who can play the style. But I'm also it's somewhat sympathetic in that it's not like he's been given a loaded roster, you know. Um, as an example, you know, they traded for Jared Dudley. I liked the trade to get Dudley. But Dudley's not a stretch four. He's a small forward, you know, and he was a below average rebounder, for example. As a small forward, he's the worst rebounder in the league as a power forward, you know. So, and that's part of the reason why their defense is, I mean, their offensive rebounding is down. And then Chris Humphreys is playing. Chris right. Humph- they're trying to make Chris Humphreys a stretch four out of position if those couple of months of that as well. Well, the thing with Humphreys is, you know, he can shoot the ball. Um, he, he shoots the ball fine. You know, he can competently shoot from three. Uh, I think that the issue with him is he was so slow. Yes. You know, that's the thing that stood out to me when he went out on the perimeter was that he's got a long wind-up before he shoots, and then if he, you know, by the time he's finished winding up, there's a defender on him, and so then he puts the ball on the floor and tries to dribble, and that's glacial as well. And I think that was the undoing of Chris Humphreys more than anything else is just how slow, how long everything took. Yeah, I guess he's playing, he was playing well in Phoenix and also now playing well in Atlanta. I saw some tweet the other night that he was uh, doing really well. I was like, wow, this, you know, good for Chris Humphreys. I, I, was, I also always liked Chris Humphreys. Uh, he was okay, dude. You know, just a normal bro. But my, 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 my question sure. to you, my question is, so you, you wrote this piece. I know it got a lot of coverage, which obviously I'm making a whole podcast about it. But but it, it but it but it but it it got a lot of positive reviews. Now the guy that we quoted, Kevin Sheehan, uh, and you got into it. I, I got into it's maybe too harsh, but some some back and forth on the Twitter machine about your numbers, your takes, your viewpoints, which me and you share the same yeah. one. What 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 was that? What was that interaction about? And what and what? Just give me a summary of what, what that was. Well, in fairness to, to, to Kevin, I mean, he, he wasn't responding to this. I, I just happened to be in the car 
uh, one afternoon and heard him and Tom Levero talk about, they did a segment talking about uh, analytics. And I think they were more talking about Dan Steinberg's piece. And they said some things, you know, just repeating the same old tired jokes that were made back in like the, you know, the 60s when people started doing analytics on baseball, you know, saying the same things. Oh, they're geeks, they're propeller heads, that kind of nonsense. And they, they repeated a bunch of things that are just not true about analytics or analysts. And I tweeted at them about that. And she responded, my buddy Ben Becker got involved. And um, so we tweeted back and forth. And then Kevin Sheehan decided to take those the, a couple of the tweets, read them aloud on the air so that <laughs> Tom could make fun of, could make further fun of the and, and I will say that it, it, it was kind of funny. Uh, I wish that they had maybe brought some material from, say, even 1990 would have been good. But, you know, they, they recited all the usual jokes. And what, what, were, what, were the what were the tweets? What, do you remember specifically? What were, they, what were the ones that they... Oh, I mean, I tweeted, for example, well, the first thing I did, I said something about, you know, they're, they're spouting pure, uh, I'll clean it up, BS, about analytics and, and analysts. And um, then we, we tweeted a little bit about you know, the process, we talked about it some, that, you know, uh, Ben asked me, like, what, what do you do when, for example, your, your eyes see one thing and the numbers tell you something different? And, you know, I talked about how, well, essentially what I said was you do more research. You know, you watch games, you dig into what the X's and O's are, you um, crunch more numbers. You know, you, you, look, I know that, you know, researching basketball and doing stats and all this kind of stuff, it's, yeah, it's a little odd, but, you know, everybody gets their hobby. Everybody has things they're interested in. I hey, haven't been interested in basketball. Hey, so, man, hey man, I'm podcasting you know. I'm podcasting about a 30 and 33 basketball team, so, so, so <laughs> don't, don't, I, I, I understand. My, my friends, especially girls, would be like, uh, so you do a podcast about the Wizards? <laughs> you know, it's like foreign. It's like, I'm, it's like I'm doing Shakespeare, or like I'm breaking out Shakespeare <laughs> podcasts. They're like, the Wizards, like the NBA team? Like you have a podcast? Like yeah. first, they, first I think it's neat that I'm doing podcasts, but then they're like, "Are they good?" I'm like, "Nah, they're not having a good year." <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not a good team, and so it, yeah, I mean, it's like you, it's like doing a podcast about like a Hyundai or something. Like, why, why would you do that? Well, because. I'm interested. Yes, I'm interested, and people want to listen to it. And thank you so much for people that that do listen. So, so what I want to—I've already taken too much of your time, but I want to wrap up. I, so currently on Basketball Reference, uh, the Washington Wizards are projected to win 39 games, lose 42. They have a nine percent chance, nine as in nine percent chance to make the playoffs. The best record they can have would be 46 and 36 if they win the rest of their games. The worst are 32 and 50. They have a 0.6% chance of winning the lottery, which is really depressing considering we don't have a pick. 9% <laughs> seems kind of low considering the Bulls at 9. So the Wizards are at 10th place. They're projected at 10th. The Bulls are projected at 9th, and they have a 40% chance of making the playoffs. And the Pistons are projected at 8th, and they have a 64% chance of making the playoffs. I don't, this is based off 7,500 simulations through basketball reference. Mm-hmm. I don't know why the wizards are so low compared to those other teams. Personally, I feel like they have a better shot. I, th- I think there's another projections, which has the wizards. I think both forever had today, maybe at 538 had them at like 25%. Basically it was unchanged 
from a, a month ago. Yeah. What 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 do you think? My, about, um, what do you think about that nine percent number? It feels too low for me. I think that's probably about accurate. Um, yeah, I have I have a sheet that, that I that I do where, where I just project the record based on you know various inputs that are useful in projecting record. And um, I have basically three approaches, and I get 39, 39, and 40 in those each of those uh, approaches right now as the, their final win total. And um, I expect that they'll be in 10th place uh, by the end of the year. See, the, the thing is, is that their schedule is, has gotten easier, and it is easier. But when you compare it, again, to the other teams that are, you know, they're competing against, and I basically am running it from, uh, you know, 5 through 10. So we've got Charlotte, Atlanta, um, Indiana, Chicago, Detroit, and the Wizards. And when you compare those, the Wizards are, um, their schedule is like the third easiest in that group. You know, but nobody really has a hard schedule except Atlanta. And, uh, you know, Atlanta is already within two or three wins of making the playoffs. So of getting to the win total that they would need to make the playoffs, I should say. So, you know, for the Wizards, it's just, it's not impossible, but they, they just, they've got to play well and they've got to sustain it. And they haven't really shown any sign of doing that all season. Yeah, they, they do have a game left with, with Chicago and they do also have mm-hmm. uh, two, two games left with Detroit. But currently in the, in the, in the standings, they are in 10th at 30 and 33. The Pistons are 32 and 31. The Bulls are 32 and 30. And the Pacers are 34 and 30. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they are now three and a half behind the Pacers. But then that Pacers loss was huge because now the Pacers have uh, the tiebreaker against them. So how this yeah. all shakes out is going to be difficult. That's why that Bulls loss was, was a tough one. And that's why also that Pacers loss, a game they should have won the other night at home, was maybe, I was thinking about it the other day, could be the defining loss of the season. Even though if I ranked the top 15 losses, tough losses of the year, <laughs> I don't know if it's top five because there's so many devastating Awful ones, and that can maybe be a summer project uh, of mine, which I'm sure everyone can't can't wait to listen to that uh, a pick and roll show about all the awful games that Wizards had all year. But but it's nothing about the numbers and stats. What do you? What is your? Where is this franchise at? Give me an overall sense of where this team is at. Are you? Are you? Do you subscribe to them missing the playoffs? Because then maybe Ted Leonsis will finally clean house, especially in the front office, and get new leadership in. Or now that we don't have a first round pick, do they and they have you know obviously faint hopes, depending on your viewpoint of Kevin Durant or interacting free agents to play with, with with John Wall and Bradley Beal's contract situation is coming up to play with those two young pieces with with Otto and Ubre and now Markeith, that they do have some young pieces and don't have that many committed contracts that it, it could be a, an attractive place for a free agent now whether or not Horford or Durant come here and whether people will want the money with the Wizards because a lot of teams are going to have that same money now this offseason that yeah. maybe didn't have before when the Wizards thought this plan out a couple years prior. Where do you Should they miss the playoffs because maybe they can clean house and we go a new direction? Or missing the playoffs will be such a disaster for a free agent and that fans should always want them to make the playoffs? See, I feel like you're just asking me questions so that I can say depressing things. Yes, yes. Right? <laughs> yes. Oh, oh I, yes. I don't, I, don't, I don't think it actually makes much difference whether they make the playoffs or not and because I don't think that there's going to be a house cleaning either way. 
Yeah. You know, I, I don't I don't think they're missing. I don't think that uh, Grunfeld would have been permitted to trade a first round pick for Marquise Morris if he if he was a short timer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that they would have um, basically told him to to just ride it out, and then they would have let him go, and they would have let the next GM decide what to do. I could be completely wrong on that. I do think it's possible that there could be a new coaching staff um, next season. Um, I will say that based on the hires that uh, Grunfeld has made so far, I wouldn't be like super ecstatic about, super optimistic about them getting somebody who's really, you know, really terrific. My guess is we'd get, you know, somebody who's older, somebody who's been around for a while. Um, that maybe that would be good. I, I would prefer. I think to to go with like one of the you know like a D league one of the minor league coaches or you know hot young coaches, somebody who's really hungry and really energetic and really wants to win. Um, my guess is they wouldn't go that route. My guess is they would go with the you know tried and true veteran approach because I think that they think they're a lot closer to being good than than I than I think. You know I think what they are is a really kind of an average team really across the board, you know, if you went, um, you know, ranking number one players and, you know, from every team, and then you went to two and then three, it would probably be about average kind of up and down the roster. And so, well, well, yeah, I they need any weak talent, but they, they, I think they need a lot of talent. Well, what I'm hoping is that Ted Leonsis, who also owns the Caps, and seeing the success that they've had, and then we knock on wood because we need a postseason success, uh, to back that up from this phenomenal regular season that the Washington Capitals have had, is that he did replace the GM, finally. He did get a new coach, yeah. finally. That maybe he can see that, be like, okay, wow, this really, my stability argument with Grunfeld and Whitman, which worked to a certain extent, obviously isn't working anymore, and that you maybe you need a whole yeah. change. Now, now, you need to maybe spend some money, finally. Right, and mm-hmm. Grunfeld and yeah. Whitman have, have have taken contracts in their situations below market rate. You know how much some people will call it Ted cheap. I don't know if I go that too far, but there definitely has been a resource limited aspect of it. You know, fair or unfair. I mean, that's been true, and they are they have been willing to spend money on players here and there, but they haven't been able. Maybe I don't feel like to spend the money on the on the new GM, the new front office, the new coaching that maybe they need to do. That that hopefully looking at what the Caps have done successfully, especially after a long postseason run of the Caps, that maybe he should do that for his basketball team. That's that's my hope and belief. Yeah. I have no sources on that. That's me just talking mm-hmm. out of my ass uh, because I do I do have a sneaky suspicion that you do that that missing the playoffs or not missing the playoffs that the injuries. Uh, will, they will give everyone a mulligan. I don't know if Randy Whitman gets a mulligan, but like I like to say, uh, death taxes and Ernie Grenfell, team president for life. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. so before before we go, I will say this. That I will say something nice about uh, Ernie Grenfell. <laughs> so when when Ernie came in as the general manager, you know, team president, he was coming into an organization that was beyond dysfunctional. You know, they, they had just gotten rid of Michael Jordan and um, there was, you know, all kinds of infighting and it was kind of a nasty situation. And he did at least establish a professional structure in the front office. Now, 
it didn't always work out all that well, but he did at least establish that. But I think at this point, in fact, I think probably by like 2010, we could look in and see that this really wasn't working and that his ability to judge talent is not very good, especially young talent. And it's time to move on, you know, and that, that's what I think. And um, I'd like to see them, you know, bring in one of the good executives from around the league. There are young guys around who would make good GMs, I think, and bring in one of those guys and start fresh with, uh, you know, a professional front office that, um, you know, has a fresh take on player evaluation and has some fresh ideas for how to do it. I think that they've, they've, if they were ever good, they've gotten stale. And I think it's time to, to do something different now. Oh, well, one of my, my long Twitter rants is basically going off of the, the failed draft picks and not so much the failed draft pick, just selling draft picks, trading out of drafts, and just being like, okay, you're not a piece away, and we're, we're treating this franchise like we're a piece away from a championship instead of a team that can't win 50 games, that can barely stay 500, barely get to 500, and we're just trading out of drafts. Like, 2014 yeah. draft, didn't trade, not playing our 2000, uh, 2015 pick, Kelly Oubre, trading up to get Kelly Oubre when Bobby Porter's probably would have been a better fit. Now we've traded out of, out of the 2016 draft completely. And that's been yeah. frustrating, especially when the rebuild happens, is that you go to this mindset like, okay, we're going to build with this talent. Ted Leonson's coming come with his plan. Get this talent. You know, we'll make some, we'll trade some picks here and there to bring in to stabilize, but we're going to grow this homegrown talent. And aside from, Bre- yeah. aside from John Wall, John Wall is the longest person on this team. And then Bradley Bill, aside from those two, you know, in, in Otto Porter, to a lesser extent, there is no other young players that they have developed, especially big players, over these picks. And that has been the f- really frustrating aspect of, of looking at the, the criticism of the front office that I feel is more uh, resonant towards them. And that the, the yeah. cause, because I feel like the moves can be defended individually on the merits. Almost mm-hmm. every single one, and some of them have worked out. Mm-hmm. I think it's unfair to say that they haven't, especially the Gortat trade have, have, has worked out. But it's the overarching thing of of making these trades to make up for your own mistakes, and not having that young guy that you can package to maybe get that veteran instead yeah. of you have to go out and sign an Allen Anderson, a Gary Neal, get a Drew Gooden, and fill your roster with these mid level, you know, veterans cheap. Instead of having to to get a veteran who's maybe in their prime of their career instead of the end of their career. Yeah, yeah, I agree with much of that. The one thing I don't really agree with is the uh, is the on the Gortat trade because I think that was a case of trading away a you know trading a pick to, to basically cover up for a mistake that they they made, which was not using any of their off season resources to uh, get a big man, even though they had. Uh, a couple of thirty-plus-year-old bigs that yeah. they were relying upon. Yeah, I think that was more about Okafor so. getting Okafor coming out with that injury, and then Kevin Serafin being Kevin Serafin and realizing that he was the one that was going to be your only big guy that you're going to have to rely on. <laughs> which I know you miss Kevin KS Life. Do you really miss him? I, I don't. I, you did mention him in your piece, yeah. which was kind of funny. I, I, miss, I miss his social yeah. media stuff. That's funny. I do not miss uh, his game that that much. <laughs> yeah, well, the only reason I mentioned him is because uh, Randy Whitman talked about how uh, 
them not bringing Seraphin back left him without a big man, a backup center. <laughs> and my kind of point was, even when you had him, you didn't have a backup center. You, you played him there, but he wasn't a good backup center. He was, in fact, a really awful backup center. And yeah. he's been even worse for the Knicks. So Yeah, so, <laughs> so, so the only future we have is to miss the playoffs, uh, get a new coach, and hopefully stay healthy for next season. Yeah, well, health would be nice. Uh, although that that doesn't transform. I mean, hopefully they'll be able to land, uh, you know, Kevin Durant or something like that. I mean, it would be great if they could miss the playoffs and you know get Ben Simmons. That would be nice. Oh uh, yeah, um, they, you know. yeah. They're not able to do that, unfortunately. <laughs> well, I guess they can. I guess I guess top top nine. You know, they're going to finish tenth. <laughs> right. Yeah, they'll finish tenth, and they'll basically they'll Phoenix is going to get the pick. I'm just saying it would be great if they could, but you know, I mean, if they could sign an elite free agent, it, that would certainly help them. I mean, Kevin Durant would certainly, uh, you know, improve them. So there's hope. I mean, the problem though is, you know, as we've all talked about, you know, there's what six hundred million of extra cap space. Uh, coming and there's probably what 400 million of that that's going to be available to be spent and so there's a lot of money out there and because of the maximum salary thing everybody's basically going to offer the same contract which means that the players will all be choosing on non-salary factors so they're going to choose the lakers because it's los angeles they're going to choose you know someplace else for (laughs) excuse me for other reasons and so the Wizards usually don't do very well in those kinds of situations. I agree. Well, Kevin, I will wrap it up. I've already taken way too much of your time. I really appreciate it. This has been very illuminating, very depressing, I'm sure, for all the fans out there. But I think the reason that people do listen to this, it, well, I don't know. People can tell me why they listen to this because you, you tell we. I try to tell it how it is. I'm also a fan, so I can relate to the angst and to the misery that we have. And I try to keep it optimistic because it has been a long, long season. Hopefully, we will cash in on that nine percent and make the playoffs. And I'll have you back on, and we can we can crunch the numbers of a postseason. <laughs> yeah, Less the person. Do you, do you make it to any games? Have you made it to any games this year? I've not. I've not made it out yet. Uh, I'm trying to, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. I, I have some busy kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can. I understand. I, I don't have any children, but my sister has two little ones, and they're they're constantly busy. All sorts of stuff. Well, I got uh, two in college, and then one who's in high school. So, oh wow, a yeah. lot of lot of so activity, lot, lot of activities right there, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, keep them busy. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. I appreciate it, uh, everyone. Uh, thanks, thanks for your support. We're continually do these podcasts. I'm hopefully having Kyle on to summarize this this road trip. We'll really get into the Blazers' uh, defeat and the Utah. What happens in Utah and also in Denver? So, so stay with us. And as always, go with.